It's the Fitness Lab Pittsburgh podcast, a new episode every week. A podcast about movement, part of making your life complete. Fitness Lab Pittsburgh, aka FitLab PGH, brings you interviews with people in the Pittsburgh area who understand movement is part of what makes life complete. Looking for a new movement idea or just want to hear interesting stories about people who make movement a priority? This is the podcast for you. Whether you consider the gym, dojo, or fitness studio your third place, or just want to learn more about movement activity and fitness to enhance your life, give FitLab PGH a listen. We interview locals in the Pittsburgh area who make Pittsburgh a great place to move. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play, or check out our website for other subscription options. Subscribing is free and gives you notifications when we release new episodes. Each podcast episode will be long enough to pique your interest and short enough to hold your attention. Have an idea for an episode? Know somebody we should interview? Or just want to connect with us? Drop us an email, fitlabpgh at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at fitlabpgh. Already a fan of FitLabPGH? Check out our sister podcast, Moving to Live. Moving to Live is a podcast for movement professionals and amateur aficionados. Moving to Live offers weekly interviews with movement professionals featuring topics from career development to coaching tips and education resources to advice for parents of student-athletes. We look forward to hearing from you, and we hope you enjoy our next interview, starting now. Moving to Live brings you movement and exercise tips, stories, and activities from some interesting people involved in the movement field. In the most recent interview, we sat down with Seth Munsey. Seth Munsey is a strength and conditioning coach with Disc Golf. He talks to us about his path from high school to time in the military and riding on the ambulance to his career now as a strength and conditioning coach for Disc Golf. Moving to Live is back with another podcast episode. We are a podcast about movement because we believe movement should be treated as a lifestyle. Our main goal is to break down knowledge silos and interview people in the movement profession. Many of them are in different movement professions, but they all have the goal of either getting people to move more or getting people to move better. Some people come by word of mouth. Some people I find by searching the internet and Believe it or not, there actually are some good Instagram posts that you can find some very interesting people. I have to say that today's guest is the first person that I have ever recruited after reading a Wall Street Journal article. There was an article a few weeks back. Uh, The Wall Street Journal has a column that I think they come out with every week called What's Your Workout? And they had a workout that Andrew Zimmern, the TV chef from the Food Network, does which is disc golf, and they mentioned in this article today's guest as a strength and conditioning professional who specializes in disc golf. So I found today's guest, Seth Muncy, on the internet. I contacted him and asked him if he would come on Moving to Live and talk about his background and talk about disc golf and how he got involved in it. He is currently the owner of Disc Golf Strong, and he's generous enough to join us to talk to Moving to Live. So Seth, thanks for taking time to talk to us. Oh, glad to be here, Ben. Thank you. I appreciate it. First question I always ask moving to live guests is you're wearing your disc golf strong shirt and you're in the coffee shop or you're in the elevator and somebody looks at it and they say, what do you do? What's your 30 second elevator speech? I I actually get that often. So this is a good question. (laughs) First is what is disc golf? 
And then what is disc golf strong? Well, I, I help disc golfers uh, of all ages and abilities and skill levels play strong and healthy disc golf, uh, keep them injury free, keep them resilient and uh, help them do what they want to do uh, better and for as long as they can. And in the latter part of this interview, we're going to talk more about what exactly you do with them and the levels of disc golf. But for somebody who doesn't know, just a simple explanation, what is disc golf? Yes, disc golf is it's, it's played like golf, uh, many similar rules, but we throw a, uh, you could, people call it a Frisbee. We don't call it a Frisbee. It, it looks different. It flies different. So uh, that's why we call it disc versus uh, Frisbee golf. Um, but it, same rules as, as normal golf, 18 holes, uh, is trying to get the hole, uh, get the disc in the basket in the fewest throws possible. Uh, it is a worldwide sport. Um, there's a couple million people that play it around the world. Uh, and there's also a professional side to the sport. Uh, started up in about the 70s, early 70s, and it's, and it's growing rapidly every year. So. And before we find out more about your story, I mean, that's mm -hmm. the fact that there's professional disc golf. Is this something that people make their living at it or is it professional as in some other sports where people actually have another job and they do it on the weekends for a couple hundred dollars? Yeah. You know, in the beginning uh, of the professional side of the sport, the latter was definitely the case. Uh, it was, you know, work full time during the week, play as a professional disc golfer on the weekend in tournaments. But in the last few years, that has rapidly been changing. Uh, there are a lot of touring pros that are out there making a living, making you know six figures as a professional disc golfer, and uh, and that's around the world. And so the the um, number of professional disc golfers that are going out on the road and touring uh, is growing every single year. So uh, there are quite a number now that it is their full time job. And for moving to live, our ethos is movement is a lifestyle. With disc golf, do they use carts or is this all walking for the 18 holes? It's all walking. Uh, there are some golf courses where, you know, amateurs, uh, they'll be able to rent a cart at a golf course that has installed disc golf baskets. But on the professional side and in all tournaments, it is all walking. And I'm sure there's an interesting story here that we're going to get into about how you arrived at this. I'm curious, did you play disc golf growing up or did you do nothing growing up? One of the things that I find interesting with moving to live is finding out if the people that I interview were active growing up and when they were kids. And if they were, was it because mom and dad said, get out the door and don't come back till supper time? Or was it because mom and dad were active and you wanted to keep up with mom and dad? Yeah, my childhood was very active. I grew up in Southern California near the beach, so I spent a lot of time out at the beach, um, in the water. My sports growing up were snowboarding, surfing, body surfing, some skateboarding, but a lot of Frisbee, actually. Uh, my brother and I and our best friends, we would throw a Frisbee. We didn't necessarily play the sport any, like, we didn't call it disc golf at that time. Uh, it was just throwing a Frisbee back and forth together. I uh, would play ultimate. It's pretty much throwing every single day. I had heard of disc golf, but you know, back in the nineties without the internet, there's no <laughs> disc golf course nearby. I didn't really, you know, I wasn't able to, to get online like I can these days and learn all about disc golf and watch disc golf tournaments and that have been recorded. So it was really just 
out throwing a frisbee every single day. We were outdoor kids. We didn't come home till the lights came on. And sometimes, uh, even after that, and you know, it's it it was a it was a very active childhood. And that was, and my parents were kind of, were somewhat active, but nothing like my brother and I. And I'm curious, what was it about the throwing the frisbee that that was the attraction? I mean, I know as a kid, I was the one walking around with the baseball mitt or the or the, or the football. The frisbee was only a little bit, and maybe a little bit in college on the quad before it was time to go do something else. Mm-hmm. You know that just the seeing the disc fly in the air, uh, being able to shape your shots with the disc, how much you know effort put into it if you're trying to float it into. I was trying to float a disc into my brother so he could catch it between his legs in the air or, you know, he would throw it and, and, you know, throw a huge bomb through the air. And so I could run and die for it at the beach. So that was just, it really caught our attention and, and filled up our days. And I know if I talk to a lot of guests, they have the traditional path of they go to high school, maybe they're playing a team sport or an individual sport and they go to college and play that sport or they don't. But at some point they find exercise science or medicine or physical therapy. From reading your bio, which I have the advantage of prior to interviewing you, your path that you followed was a little bit different. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you selected that path to travel after graduating from high school? Yeah, absolutely. So after graduating high school, I joined the U.S. Coast Guard and went off to boot camp two weeks after I turned 18 and uh, was stationed after boot camp in San Francisco at a small boat search and rescue station. So I spent four years there from 99 to 03, got out, thought I was going to be a firefighter. uh, And so I went to the fire academy Worked as an EMT on an ambulance for a couple of years, running 911 as a part-time firefighter. And during my time on an ambulance, I was working crazy hours. We would get up for calls in the middle of the night. And I went from, you know, a, a lean, strong, healthy, you know, like 170 to 210 before I knew it. I was sitting on an ambulance. I was, there was a lot of stress. Uh, very little sleep, sick all the time. I had stopped working out. Uh, I didn't really know much about the fitness profession uh, because I was really focused on, you know, emergency medicine and firefighting. But I realized that while I was on the ambulance, I needed to pass the firefighter physical tests and that the current state I was in was not going to do that for me. And, and I'm, so, I'm curious mm-hmm. for those people who are not involved in firefighting, what was that test or what, what was it that you were required to do? Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple tests. Uh, there's one called the CPAT. Uh, it was the candidate physical ability test. And then there was another one. I, the, the name is uh, not coming to me right now, but it was basically, we would have to, uh, drag, uh, you know, drag a dummy. We'd have to, in full turnout gear, we'd have to carry bottles up and down a uh, flight of stairs, couple flights of stairs. We'd have to pull hose. We'd have to do, a, I think it was like seven or seven to 10 tests. That was, it was quite a while ago now, so I can't remember fully exactly what was in the test. But, but it was a very uh, physically demanding test. So I had practiced it before and I uh, did horrible. So I knew I needed to, 
to change what I was doing. I needed to to lose some body fat and start working out. And so that's what I started doing and lost about 35 pounds while working on the ambulance. And in that time, found a love for fitness and a love for a passion for, you know, learning how to improve uh, my physical, my physical capabilities and kind of moved from there. A friend of mine, I needed to get off the ambulance and friend of mine that I'd worked with on the ambulance, he was working at a 24 hour fitness. And he said, Hey, if you want to get a job as a personal trainer, you know, you should start studying for your test. We can get, you know, get you a job here. So I thought, okay, I'll do that while I'm trying to apply for firefighting jobs. I will go ahead and, and, uh, do that. Rest is history. Jane fell in love with what I was learning and what I was doing left the firefighting EMT uh, career to the side and, and pursued full-time as a fitness professional. And at some point you made the decision to go on and get a four-year degree. What was that path or how did you decide, Hey, this isn't enough. I need to get more education. Was it, I just want the initials or was it the realization that you could maybe learn at a different level? What was it? Yeah, I really, I was, I was very nervous about going to college. I had horrible grades in high school. And so I thought, okay, when I go to college, I am going to, I'm going to fail miserably. But I felt like I I had a thirst for knowledge though. And so I felt like, okay, I need to, this is something I need to do. I want to know as much as I can about uh, how to help people uh, in this, in this career path. So I signed up for college and I fell in love with it and with, with the, with the educational, the education side of it, went to Cal state Fullerton and it was really funny. I went from barely graduating high school with like the, almost the lowest GPA you can graduate with. And then when I went to college, I actually graduated a summa cum laude, which, you know, which is a, is so crazy to think that, you know, it, it really shows what, when you're really passionate about something and you want to learn, you know, you're like, okay, I, I, I thought I had learning uh, issues when I was in high school and it wasn't, it just was a, I didn't have, I wasn't passionate about it. And once I found that passion um, in college with a, with a kinesiology degree, uh, you know, things really opened it up for, opened up for me. I don't think you can underestimate the importance of being interested. I know I tell people when I went to college, my first two semesters was a two one or were a two one and a one eight eight nine because I had absolutely no classes in what my major was, which was health and physical education, emphasis in allied health. And it's amazing, yes. amazing my sophomore year when my grades change and friends of mine often say, why did it change? And my joke is it got my dad off my case from saying, you know, you really ought to study, but it actually was, there were things that you were interested in. And I think when you find a topic you're interested in, whether it's in school or whether it's a, a certification or, or an area of fitness or movement that you think there's more to be learned here, it really doesn't seem like work, even though it's time consuming. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it definitely didn't feel like work to me. Uh, while I was in college, I went to college late from being in the military and spent time on the ambulance. So I was, you know, in my uh, late twenties, early thirties when I went through college and had a wife and a kid and a mortgage at that time. So I really, you know, there was a, a lot of motivation coming from many, 
from many different uh, directions to to be able to, to to learn and 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 grow in what I was doing. And again, because I have the little cheat sheet, which is the bio and the info I ask you to fill out, you had the opportunity to work in professional sports. And you and I both know from talking to strength and conditioning professionals and also from talking to students, so many people, it's like their dream job is they want to be a strength coach for a major college or they want to be a strength coach for professional sport. And it's difficult to get there. But you were there and you made the decision to say, hey, you know, this isn't really where I want to go. I want to go in a different direction. How did that come about? And was that partially because you had the wife and the kid and you recognized that, hey, I want to have a little bit of a family life too? Yeah, I did. I, I definitely wanted to have a family life. Uh, the strength coach that I uh, was working for, Sean Skein, uh, he was with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, you know, he was gone all the time. He was traveling and I know he loves it and he, you know, and is, and is very passionate and good at what he does. And, and I really, I loved it as well, but I knew that, you know, it probably at that, at that moment of my life was not the right direction for me, uh, moving forward with having a wife and a, and a kid and a mortgage and not being able to travel. Um, but it was a great experience. I did it during my senior year of college and, uh, and it's really helped transfer over to what I do now, even in disc golf. And I think what's interesting about this is Seth Muncy has a very different path than many people. You went and you opened your own facility. Again, this is something that typically if you talk to people in the health and fitness field, they want to have a facility. And you had a pretty large facility. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about how that came about and, and uh, why you made the decision to move on from there. Yeah, so while I was with the Ducks, I uh, Sean... Uh, Coach Skane had me uh, had told me about the RKC Russian Kettlebell Challenge, and said that it was one of the best certifications at the time that he had gone through, and felt like that was something I really wanted to do. So I I trained for the RKC, really put in a lot of time and effort into it, and after I received my RKC and I moved on from the Ducks, I we moved up to Monterey, California, which is where I reside now where my wife is from. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to use the knowledge that I've gained. I'm going to open a facility up that kind of focuses around kettlebells and sandbags and, you know, other types of uh, unconventional training and, and bring that to this area uh, because there was nothing like that here. So I opened up my gym. It was a 3,200 square foot facility called Iron Republic. And I, had I operated that for four years and it was great. I worked with a lot of uh, general population, just helping people, you know, move better and feel better and really learn to enjoy movement. My motto there was live life strong. And it was all about, you know, making sure that what you do uh, can transfer over into your life. And I, I closed that down two years ago to go full time in a disc golf strong, but it was a very, uh, impactful and influential part of my my career and my story and 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 I you know learned so much from it. 
We're talking with Seth Muncy. He is the owner of Disc Golf Strong. Uh, Seth, you were telling us a few minutes ago about how when you were riding on the ambulance, you realized that you'd gained some weight and you would not be able to pass the test that required for, uh, for firefighting. I'm curious, when you made the decision to start working out then, were you using the unconventional training tools such as kettlebells and sandbags, or was it more the traditional, I'm going to the gym and hopping on the Stairmaster and lifting traditional weights or even using machines? Yeah, in the beginning, it was a lot of body weight. I, it didn't, I didn't have much knowledge on what to, to do, so I went to a lot of my calisthenics from the uh, boot camp days from the military days. So I was, I was looking uh, for ways to just fit it into uh, in between calls. So I would be at the, at the ambulance station and I would just do some body weight squats, do some pushups, do some planks, you know, fit it in where I could and try to just do it throughout the day. When I did go to the gym, you know, it was just picking up some dumbbells and say, okay, I think I should do some rowing and I think I should do some dumbbell, uh, chest press. You know, I really ha didn't, didn't know what I was doing, but I felt like doing something was better than doing nothing. Uh, and then I would also, you know, do a lot of cardio at that time, you know, get on the elliptical and, uh, and, and walk or on the stair climber and walk. I think for people who are listening to this, who are amateur aficionados, maybe not in the profession. I know I've had this conversation with a past guest before, Dr. Jay Dawes. We have a tendency in the fitness field to overcomplicate things and say, you know, there are right ways to do this and wrong ways, which is true from an injury point of view. But I think what you're describing there is you took your activity and you increased your activity. And we haven't really talked about this, but I'm assuming you slightly modified your diet and amazingly, you lost weight and got stronger. Absolutely. Yep. That's it. It's, it's finding what works for you. And that's what I really try to do as a, as a strength professional is help people just find what works for them. Um, that it's, I always say to myself, it's not about me, it's about them and meeting them where they, where they are currently at. And, you know, it's, it's get out and do something, you know, um, uh, they always say that the hardest part of going out for a walk is tying your shoes, you know, just is putting on your shoes, tying your shoes, just get out there and, 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 and do something, anything, everything counts. You mentioned as a kid, you and your brother spent a lot of time throwing the Frisbee around along this path that you've taken. Where did you first find the opportunity to play disc golf? And is it something you thought, wow, this is something I really enjoy, or was it something that you kind of had to grow into? Yeah, so when I moved to Monterey six years ago, I found on uh, social media that there was a local disc golf club, and I had heard of disc golf, but like I said it earlier, I wasn't too familiar with it, and showed up, met a few people, and right away, I mean, almost instantly, became very passionate about it. Uh, disc golf is a very welcome, the disc golf community is very welcoming, uh, and, you know, being out there, there, there's, there's activities going on all the time in, in the, on disc golf courses. So I started spending two, three, four days a week out on the disc golf course. Um, and like I said, fell in love with it right away. And, and anybody that I introduced disc golf to for the most part, uh, starts to see how quickly it can become addicting for them. 
I can see with the walking of the courses that that just that alone can get people a fair amount of movement for somebody who's coming from a non disc golf background and a background that's different from what you have of throwing the Frisbee around. But if somebody is a fairly good athlete, how long does it take them to become fairly good? I don't mean like elite level amateur or even going professional, but where they can go and not snap the disc over their knee because they get frustrated by the numerous shots like we think of with traditional golf. Yes, it's much different than traditional golf. You can start to develop some competency in in your disc golf throw pretty quickly. Anybody that I've ever brought out that, that even has never really thrown a frisbee before, uh, pretty quickly they start to see that they can, you know, get the disc down the down the fairway a little bit. And, and start to enjoy it. Um, I've seen people go from never throwing a frisbee to being able to go out there and 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 play a a round, throw a round that they that they feel very good uh, good with, you know, in a few weeks. Really, you know, they're not going to be able to compete on a high level with that, but it's something you can be start to find success at very quickly. And I think that's another reason why disc golf is one of the fastest growing sports out there because there are, because you can start to develop competency uh, pretty quickly. Um, There's a lot of community involvement. You're out there before you know it, a lot of your, your friends start to become disc golfers and uh, there's, there's an exercise component and also there's a meditative component. I go out there and play solo rounds and in disc golf, we say it's walk, it's a walk in the woods with a purpose you know, so yeah, that's that, that's a few of the the many reasons why disc golf is 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 very big and impactful in my life and in many others as well. I know there's a growing body of research out there that shows that people who exercise outside find it beneficial, as you said, not only from the physical aspect but also the mental or the med- meditative aspect. And I can understand from from that standpoint, people saying, boy, this is something I want to take up, the sense of community where you know that maybe every Tuesday there's a foursome that you're going to meet and do that. And you can be outside for two, three, four hours. Where the idea of saying, hey, I think this is a business model where I can have a business with strength and conditioning for people playing disc golf. How did you come up with that? And then when you first started throwing the idea around, what was your wife's response and what were your friends in the profession's response? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I remember the moment I thought of, first thought of disc golf strong. I was out playing and I just, I noticed, uh, you know, I started looking around and noticing a lot of my friends had injuries and they were still playing through them and they had no idea what to do for their injuries and they they weren't doing a warm-up or anything and it came to my my you know thought process i thought i i have the knowledge to be able to to help them um this is something i'm passionate about this is something they are passionate about and i really feel called to to give them the information they need to be successful um, and, and lower their injury rate. And so I went home to my wife and I said, you know, uh, Tiffany, I, I think I want to start doing some strength conditioning in the sport of disc golf. And she was like, is that even a thing? I said, not yet, <laughs> not yet. I looked it up. There was nobody out there talking to the disc golf community. And so 
I told her I was going to start looking into it. And, and that's what I did. I started, you know, gathering some, some data and, and talking to other disc golfers and just handing out some information here and there on, on things that they could do. And from there, from that point on, disc golf strong was born. Uh, and looking at the, where the sport was and, and it's almost, we, we almost feel like it's the national sport of Scandinavian countries. I'm actually going overseas in two weeks for a month and in, in countries in Finland, I'll be in Finland, Sweden, Norway, Estonia, and Denmark. And they are playing disc golf like crazy there. And, uh, so that was three years ago. And it's gotten to this point now where uh, I'm traveling for the sport. So it's, it's exciting. And one of the things that people who are not involved in the movement field don't understand is they don't understand why you need to train to do a sport. I mean, the common thing for people who run, who don't have the knowledge is, well, I don't need to lift weights. My legs get enough of a workout running. And as professionals, we know that's not true. What was your uh, friend's reaction or the disc golf community originally when you went to them and said, hey, you know, I know this is bothering you. You have these nagging injuries. I think I can help you. Was it, you know, oh, Seth, this is his profession, strength and conditioning. Yeah, this is good. Or it's like, go away. This is, this is just something I have to live with because I'm getting old. Yeah. One of the first videos I put out on my YouTube channel was how to safely pick your disc up off the ground. <laughs> and it got, I mean, it was on the disc golf Reddit threads. Uh, a lot of people were laughing about it saying, is this guy serious? But there was actually a lot of people coming on to defend me say, Hey, you know, what he's saying is if we're bending over to pick up a disc, repeatedly over and over and over again it's not how much that the disc only weighs 175 grams it's that repeated flexion of our lower back um, you know that's going to cause uh, the the injuries in the long term and so there was in the beginning people were kind of lukewarm to it they weren't really sure what it was about but you know i when i came when i started disc golf strong i came out just saying hey you know Let's look at other sports. Uh, what do other sports do? Uh, they all do a warm up. Let's just start doing a warm up. I think we can all agree that warming our bodies up before we throw would not be a bad idea. So I didn't come out with disc golf strong saying, "Hey, we need to do in season training, off season training." You know, I, all that. I didn't. I, I I kept it very simple. Said, "Here's a basic." basic moves you can do before you throw to warm up your shoulders, to warm up your hips, you know, get the blood flowing, get the nervous system firing, you know, firing up. Uh, and that is how I really started to make some inroads right away into the disc golf community because they didn't see it as, okay, this guy is trying, we went from doing nothing to this guy's telling us to do all this stuff. And you know, this is why we're not being able to play disc golf the best because he's telling us we're doing all these things wrong. I just came and said, Hey, let's, let's just do, let's just do something that most other athletes will consider a good thing. Let's, let's do a little bit of a warm up. Um, and I, and I didn't have any equipment in the beginning. I showed everything that was body weight because I wanted the disc golfers to watch a video of mine at their computer push their chair away from the desk and get on the ground and start doing something right away. Not say like, okay, this guy's coming out and he's got these expensive programs to buy and 
you know, they, I need to, I need to go buy kettlebells. I need to buy sandbags or I need to go get an expensive gym membership. You know, it was really just things that are very accessible. Um, and, and really trying to meet the disc golf community where it was at, at the moment, not, not come in with the knowledge that I had, but, you know, and say, Hey, here's all this stuff you can do, but just where's the disc golf community at right now? Let me meet them where they're at with something uh, uh, that they can just, you know, bite into right, right away and slowly grow from there. And I know Disc Golf Strong does education, which as you mentioned a few minutes ago, you're going to get the opportunity to go to Scandinavian countries. Uh, do you also work individually or in groups with disc golf player, players yourself doing strength and conditioning? I do, yes. Yeah. So I, I work both on the professional side of the sport um, and I work individually uh, with uh, around 35 professional athletes. And then I also have a... Uh, on the recreational side of the sport, I have an app. It's a Disc Golf Strong app. And so it's a, I launched that a few months back. And that is a membership based app that people can log into and get their training programs and, 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 and more educational resources for, for disc golf training. So, yes, yeah, so both, side, both sides of the sport. So, and I tour throughout the year to professional disc golf tournaments. And I know that it's very common in the strength and conditioning field for especially young coaches to roll out the, well, this is what fill in your favorite professional team or high-level college team is doing for training. So this is what we're going to do for maybe somebody who isn't at that level. Uh, without going into all of the details and stealing all of your thunder, your programming that you use on your app for the recreational players versus what you do for the professional players who quite honestly, as you said, are making upwards of six figures or more doing that. How does the programming differ between the two of them in broad-based terms? Really, at, at this point, it doesn't differ too much. Um, and that's because, you know, with, with disc golf, even on the professional side of the sport, their skill age is very high. Uh, you know, a lot of them have been playing disc golf for a long time, but their training age is you know, very low. Uh, so they haven't, you know, unlike baseball and football and, you know, uh, many other sports where there's a culture of training and getting in the gym when you're, when you're young and really building up, uh, you know, throughout those years, uh, your strength and conditioning, uh, the disc golf professional even, uh, really needed that foundational work, you know, uh, like what is it, what is a hip hinge? What is a squat pattern? You know, things like that. So they were, they would be able to get out on the course and, you know, throw a disc 500, 600 feet, uh, you know, but then get in the gym, they were still starting out with the foundational core work and the, and the movement patterns. So that's where I started with everybody is really building those foundations of, okay, what does a disc golfer need both either as a pro or as a recreational athlete? Um, and, and build from the ground up for both, both sides of the sport. And I would think, I know you described with your disc golf playing, you find it very meditative. I would think for people who have high pressure jobs or a lot of family responsibilities, just the opportunity to get out and play around and not hurt 
can have huge mental as- aspects and really improve their overall quality of life. Have you had clients or people who are at the amateur level comment on that? Absolutely. That uh, One of the best things about disc golf is not really even just watching a disc fly through the air after you've thrown it. It really is about being out with other people. It's about still feeling like you can be a little competitive beyond high school and college sports. It's about blowing off steam and stress from work. It's about being outdoors in nature. Uh, you know, there are so many aspects to disc golf besides just throwing a disc is, you know, which is why so many people are, are taking it up. And really a lot of times when I've dealt, when I've had a conversation with, with recreational athletes, disc golf athletes who have had an injury from disc golf, the first thing they really say is not like, oh, you know, I, I, I hate that I can't play right now because my elbow hurts. It's all my best friends are not disc golfers. You know, I, I this is what I do. I'm, I'm feeling depressed because I can't be out there enjoying what I love and being out in nature. Um, you know, so absolutely. It's something I hear from a lot of people, how, how impactful it is on the meditative side of the sport. There's actually a book called Zen and the art of disc golf, um, that I highly recommend and say it's a quick read, but it really is about how you can create, uh, you know, use disc golf to really find, um, more meditation and, and, and mindfulness in your life. And I know I pulled up some YouTube videos of uh, disc golf and some of your videos. And as you mentioned, the very good golfers can throw the, throw the disc 400, 500 yards. But I'm sure there's some people that meet you and they see the t-shirt and they say, dude, it's basically walking and throwing a Frisbee. What do you need to condition for that? So I think the a really good question to, to comment on it and discuss a little bit is what are the injuries that people engaged in disc golf? You've taught them the hip hinge, which I think we could all benefit from and having a reminder. I know my joke with people is I herniated one of my discs bending down to pick up after my dog. Now mm-hmm. that's what did it, but it was poor movement practices years before that, but still now I'm super, super conscious about it. So other than that, when somebody says like, what are injuries that get disc golfers get? And you know, it's not, it's not a mainstream sport, but I think from what you're describing, this is something that people say, well, I don't like to run. Well, I don't like to go to the gym. It's like, wait, I'm outside. I get to walk. I get to see wildlife. And occasionally I get to throw something. That sounds pretty cool. What do I have to worry about? Or what are some injuries that I might see if I decide, hey, I'm going to go hardcore and play three or four times a week? Yeah, the great thing about disc golf is its accessibility. And the bad thing about disc golf is its accessibility. You can play, <laughs> you can play every day, even if you shouldn't. It's really hard to get a bunch of people together for a game of you know, pick up baseball or even basketball or football, but you can grab, you know, your disc and get out to the course every single day uh, if you want. And there's a lot of people that do that. Um, And, and they do it very quickly once they find uh, their passion for disc golf. There's a lot of people I speak with that they'll message me and say, Hey, I've got an injury going on. I've been playing disc golf for six months and I've been playing almost every day for the last six months since the first time I threw. And I'm like, oh, well, that's great. I'm glad you found a passion in disc golf and it's helped you lose weight and it's helped you, you know, find a, 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 an active community that you can be a part of, but you're doing something repetitive every single day. Uh, and our bodies were not designed to you know, throw a disc every single, every single day or perform that repetitive task. 
So there's a lot of injuries you get to shoulders, uh, elbows, lower backs, hips, knees, uh, because for the average recreational disc golf athlete, you know, they're trying to throw it as far as they can. And it's right after they got out of the car, uh, which is right after they got off, uh, you know, work and they haven't done any sort of strength training. They don't have, you know, good joint stability, any reflexive stability, you know, their mobility is not uh, where it should be. Uh, so we get a lot of injuries, like I said, to, you know, that you're going to find in normal sports. Uh, we don't really get any really contact injuries at all, mostly non-contact injuries, but, uh, you know, it, it's just improving your overall stability, strength, mobility is going to make you be able to uh, play disc golf longer. Uh, and for those people who are playing at the professional level or the high level elite level, we know that in sports like tennis and baseball that are unilateral sports, that there are adaptations that are not necessarily good. The body is very plastic and it can withstand those adaptations. And then you have problems like labral tears. You have problems like ulnar collateral ligament damage. Is the sport mature enough now where people are playing enough and have played long enough where you're starting to see those sorts of things at the higher level? Or are we still hopefully before that and following programming like you have, maybe we'll reduce the occurrence of that? Yes, we're definitely seeing a lot of injuries at the professional level. Uh, right now with Disc Golf Strong, we're having to be really reactive to all of this. Uh, eventually, it'll be more proactive. But we're, we're, we're being, we're really reactive right now because we got a lot of shoulder issues in the professional side of the sport. They're throwing every single day. And, you know, I don't have the data that shows this, but, you know, I, I showed, I showed the disc golf grow to a, a very knowledgeable uh, coach uh, that coaches in professional baseball for um, uh, professional baseball pitchers. And, he looked at it and was like, wow, I'm, I'm amazed at, at the throwing motion. It's similar to what I would see in a baseball pitcher. And so we're getting a lot of internal impingement, posterior, the posterior shoulder capsule, um, you know, a lot of knee issues with so much torque going into the knee. Um, and we actually, the PDGA, the Professional Disc Golf Association, just, uh, just created in the beginning of this year, uh, the PDGA Medical Committee, which uh, I was selected to be on to really start looking at the injury rate in our professional athletes and, and how to curb it um, and, and, and start to be more proactive uh, for our athletes' health. I'm curious at that elite level, how many tournaments are people playing a, a, a year? And is it a similar format to like PGA Tour where there's four, four days of actual playing? Yeah, so the on the for the touring the touring pros, the season starts in the middle of February, and it ends at the end of October, and they are pretty much touring the entire time, and uh, you get a lot of the younger players. They will be playing thirty plus tournaments in a year, and you'll get some more of the seasoned veterans that have knocked that down to. 20 to 25 tournaments a year but they are when they're on the road like they just finished up a big tournament a three-day tournament in oregon 
and they'll only have one or two days off before, and that's travel time. And before they have to start practicing for their next tournament. So they're throwing five, six days a week. And with these throws, I would imagine that there are some throws they throw as hard as they can. And there's other throws where they take it, take something off of it, depending on the course, depending on the hole. But for somebody uh, like you, who's a recreational player in a round of disc golf, how many times are you throwing the disc? Obviously Uh, as few as possible. (laughs) Yeah. as As few as possible, hopefully. So most, most courses, I like the course this weekend uh, that the, the pros played at up in Oregon, uh, par was 61. So they're hopefully throwing it less than 61 times in one round. Uh, so 18 holes, they'll throw max power drives most of those holes. And really for the, for the females, the FPO, the uh, Female Professional Open Division, they are throwing from the same tee pads most of the time as the males. And so they are throwing usually double the, the, the um, amount of max power drive. So uh, at least 18 full power drive, sometimes more. And people are listening to this and I, I know they can appreciate the, the sport. It's not just a walk in the woods with the throwing and the fact that the throwing is very similar to a baseball motion. You mentioned that they finish up a tournament, they may travel. The most uh, pros are throwing every day. Do the pros or people who are amateurs and are working to get better, when they throw, do you go to the disc golf driving range or do you just play to get better? A lot of pros, they will go to a park or they'll like, I, I go to a local high school football field. Uh, and when no one's around and I, that's where I'll do a lot of my, we call it field work. And so you'll, you'll get a lot of athletes, both on the pro and the recreational side of the sport that go to find some sort of park or uh, area where they can really practice a lot of field work. Um, because we have, you know, we, uh, with our discs in our bag, we're throwing max power drives. We're throwing what we call approach shots, you know, usually 200 feet or less. Um, so we need to practice all those different shots. So we, we can do them on the course, but we like to also do them at, at other areas as well. One of the great things about moving to live in the sister podcast, Fit Lab Pittsburgh, is I get to meet and, and talk about movement and activity with so many different people. You've been describing disc golf, and one of the things that immediately comes to mind is, is there an adaptive uh, version is the wrong word, but is there, are there people who are in wheelchairs who, who play disc golf also? Uh, I, I would not doubt it. I would not doubt it. Um, it is definitely a sport that, you know, can be enjoyed by, by all in some compact, some capacity, uh, with the, uh, there are, there is a professional division where there is, I believe he is 97 years old, um, playing disc golf. There's a lot of people, we consider it a lifetime sport. So, uh, the, this, it was the senior disc golf games, I believe what it was called. It was down in Southern California last week. And there was someone, I, th- I think, it, I think he's 90, 97, but there's players in their eighties and their seventies. Um, the deaf disc golf community is very huge. Um, and so the, as far as wheelchairs, 
I'm not sure, but I would not doubt it. And I think what's really interesting and neat about what you just described is somebody who's 97, not only do they have the range of motion and strength to throw the disc, but they have the muscular endurance and capacity to actually walk the 18 holes, which is very impressive. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Very impressive. We've had the good fortune to be talking with Seth Muncy. He is the owner of Disc Golf Strong. We're going to have extensive show notes and show you uh, links to his page where he's got a few videos. And I think he's done a great job of not only describing disc golf and the demands of people who are playing at the elite level, but the fact that it is a sport, as he noted just a few moments ago, a sport of a lifetime and the ethos of moving to live in FitLab Pittsburgh is movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. Seth, I'm really glad I saw the Wall Street Journal article and reached out to you and you were willing to share a little bit more about disc golf. I think it's one of those sports that so often people just figure I'm too old to play a sport. And if you can play this at 97, I think that's something we need to emphasize promoting and making more people aware of it. So thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And I do really encourage uh, the listeners to uh, go out and, and give disc golf a try. Uh, it is one of those sports that, like you said, you can do for a lifetime and uh, find a great community as well. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of FitLab PGH, brought to you by Moving to Live. Intro and exit music is Marathon Man by Jason Shaw. Check out the show notes for contact info for our latest guests, links to other information mentioned in the episode, and links to our sister podcast, Moving to Live. Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise for professionals and amateur aficionados. Moving to Live offers topics from career development to coaching tips and education resources to advice for parents of student-athletes. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play, or check out our website for other subscription options. Your free subscription gets you notified when we release a new episode. Questions, comments, suggestions? Email us at fitlabpgh at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at fitlabpgh and like us on Facebook. If you enjoy our podcasts, please tell your friends about us and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make FitLab PGH a go-to place to learn more about movement in the Pittsburgh area. Until next time, keep on moving.